the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the podcast that looks under the hood of the paranormal and has a little bit of a tinker around. We are indeed the quantum mechanics. Um, so, Ben, before we get into today's episode, um, I've got to tell you about a jot that I had last week. Oh, just one of those things. Yeah, so so regular listeners to the podcast will know it's something we kind of regularly talk about. So uh, jots are just, what are they, little coincidences, strange things that happen. They're not huge paranormal events. They're just little weird things that you go, oh, that was just one of those things. Yeah, you just strange. kind of dismiss it as part of life. Yeah, exactly. But we, over the last, what, nearly a year... Um, we've been keeping an eye on our jots and telling them to each other when we're on the podcast. So last week, uh, it was quite icy uh, near where we live. And I was uh, driving and the sun had come out, you know, perfect mixture, right? Ice and sun. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I, I go around a corner and as they say, I kind of lost control of the car. I just skidded on ice. Um. And I'd love to say I did all the right things that you're supposed to do when you lose control of a car on ice, but I did all the opposite. I slammed my foot on the brakes, um, watched as I was heading towards a ditch and just clenched my buttocks, basically. And luckily I did stop inches from falling into a ditch. Oh, God. But the weird thing about it was I was listening to music on my, uh, on my iPod... And it's got about, I don't know, something like two and a half thousand songs on it, right? Mm. And I was listening to it. When I, when I came to a complete stop, I was listening to a track by World Party called Kingdom Come. And the lyric goes, literally, I stopped, broke, I stopped just before the ditch. I was sat there going, oh, my God, my heart was going. And the song sung out. The pandas are skating on very thin ice. Uh, if you understand me, knock once. If you don't, knock twice. Okay, that's quite weird. So, yeah, I mean, the odds of that song coming up at that point and that point in the song just was weird, right? Yeah, no, that is very weird. What is the context of the song? Is Do those lyrics keep repeating or is that like... No, no, they just get mentioned once in the song. I think it's about the, you know, it was a few years old, but I think it was about the, you know, crazy state of the world type stuff. Um, but yeah, no, so it's not, it's not a chorus or anything. It's just one part of the song, that one line that gets mentioned once in that song. <laughs> well, so, that yeah. does make it weird. That that is extraordinary and and every you you were okay and the car yeah, was okay yeah. and yeah, yeah no it was all fine i mean you know like i said it that's perfect just one of those things it wasn't like some major accident it you know it was just a as they say a squeaky bum moment and uh yeah we, this this song was just right right bit of the song at the right time but you know, randomly it had thousands to choose from. I always have it on random, so it's not like it's a song that's on the radio all the time. It's an old song. So, yeah, really strange. So I thought I'd share that one. Um, but, yeah, it was weird. And and it could easily have been Club Tropicana drinks are free. Exactly, yeah. 
which would have had no relevance whatsoever. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. In fact, completely the opposite. Yeah. Fun and sunshine. There's enough There's for enough everyone. for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get on with uh, today's episode. So today, Ben, I want to talk about Japanese spirits. Well, I love their whiskey. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not Suntory time. We're talking the Japanese supernatural type of spirit. Okay. And I want to talk mainly about... uh, So again, we do this quite a lot. I don't know why, but me and Ben always seem to pick topics and names to stretch ourselves throughout the podcast so this this episode has got lots of japanese uh names in it so i do apologize for my bad pronunciation which is bound to happen and probably right from the very first minute of the podcast um but i want to talk about what they call yokai mainly uh, and yokai are a class of, I guess, supernatural monsters, spirits, and demons that have been around for hundreds of years in Japanese folklore. Now, it's believed that these spirits uh, possess various kinds of emotions. So, for instance, if the spirit was peaceful, it would be known as a nigimitama. So it brings you good fortune, such as a good harvest back in the day. Well, I guess now as well. If the spirit is violent or malevolent, it's known as a arimitama. And as you can guess, it brings about ill fortune, such as a natural disaster and illness. So I was trying to put these into context about how they're so integrated into the Japanese psyche, you know, even through the Shinto religion and general culture, movies, old tales... And I was trying, they're not like like a paranormal niche, do you know what I mean? They are, they're part of everyday culture. And I thought the closest example that I was thinking or that would relate to us is uh, we last week we did an episode on luck and we were talking about superstitions. Like mm. if you say something's going well, you go, oh, touch wood. And I did it oh, the other yeah. day with... And I did it with something the other day. I can't remember what it was, but I said, oh, touch wood. And I actually felt a little bit anxious because there was no wood around. It's not like I believe that something terrible is going to happen if I don't touch the wood, but it's so ingrained in our culture that it's almost a part of us. Do you see what I'm saying? I do, yeah. And it, I will talk about that a little bit later on, And it, but I think it does go deeper than that in Japanese culture. But let's get on to some of the creatures. So there are... I mean, there's hundreds of these things, and they have found their way into uh, anime, into movies, even into Pokemon and stuff like that. So I've just picked some for no other reason than I really like them and I like the stories. So there's no rhyme or reason to these particularly, Ben. I've just picked a few No, no, well, you know, that's what we do, right? We love the stories. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to start with a creature called the Kappa. Uh, And it's a mythological mythological monster that's said to inhabit ponds and rivers in Japan. So the strange creature is said to have the appearance of both humanoid and a reptile, and they're extremely cunning. So uh, I'm looking at one of these now. Uh, Regular listeners will know we do... 
a photo album on Facebook to accompany this episode. So links to that will either be in the title of the podcast or the description of the podcast or on our social media at TQM Podcast. So go and check that out because you can see some of these things or just Google them. This is a, a, a kappa. Now I'm looking at one now and I would describe it. It's a bit, it's got a look of, it, it's a bit like a, a turtle. Um but it's got kind of human arms and legs, webbed feet. Its head is a bit like a bit like a bird. It's a bit like a dinosaur. It's got a beak. Expl- it's got a beak. I, I kind of described it as if you know when a teenage mutant ninja is due for retirement, when it's about to collect its pension, it looks like a pension and pension age. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle with arthritis, I would say. Yeah, I would agree with you. I've looked it up. Yeah, it does look like that. Yes, yes. So it's considered to be a type of water deity that inhabits freshwater areas of Japan. According to the legend, the kappa likes causing mischief and even harm towards humans. A kappa's pranks can manifest in the form of harmless jokes like making noises similar to flatulence. (laughs) oh we've all been there we've all been there and i wonder if this is connected with its favorite food it's got a love of cucumbers which it loves to devour that's his favorite food so i don't know if that's connected to the flatulence or not Uh, to to be fair it's welcome to them (laughs) yeah not the most tastiest um so yeah i think they're generally mischievous however some of them are more violent uh they have been known to drown livestock uh, kidnap and even eat children. Oh, well, that sort of <laughs> that takes away from the fun of it, doesn't it? Well, yeah, that's 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 the more hardcore element of the kappa. Do you, do you want a cucumber, or you're going to oh, you're going to eat the child? Okay, yeah, sm- yeah no, small, carry on. Small child. Uh, so, as you can imagine, they're generally considered a force to be feared. Um, there are some instances in which the kappa are considered to be generous, though. This most, hap- this most often happens when a kappa is indebted to a human being. Some of the most common records of friendly kappa are early Japanese legends that attribute the knowledge of bone setting and medical skills. So uh, effectively, in lots of the early stories, this is the creature that taught us medicine, effectively, and how to mend bones and cure people. Oh, right, okay. Um. Descriptions of the kappa vary from region to region, but most of the details are similar. Kappas are said to be about the size of a small child, never more than five feet tall, and they have relatively small frames. In fact, the word kappa actually translates roughly, I guess, to water child. Um, Their hands and feet are webbed, and they're said to be amazing swimmers, which makes sense because they spend their life in water. This next bit of the kappa description i absolutely love you're gonna love this bit they have a small bowl like dent on the top of their head that holds a small pool of water called a sara this water is thought to be the source of the ma- their magical power a kappa must keep their sara full whenever they venture onto land or forfeit all their strength and magical powers without this water a kappa could die so I'm not quite sure, but I get the vision. It's got this kind of little indent in its head, on top of its head, that's got liquid in, 
So I don't know whether it has to walk around really carefully on land so he doesn't spill it. But whatever, if it loses that water, it first loses its power and then it dies. It sounds like it's got gills or something. Yeah, I don't know. But I love that bit on the head. You can just see it balancing. Um, It's thought that if a human refills the Sara on top of a kappa's head, they will be eternally grateful and will help you with whatever you require for the rest of your life. Which I love that. That would come in very handy, wouldn't it? That that would be incredibly handy. Although I'd be terrified that it, like it's a cannibal, but it might turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to be. Uh, though many refuse to believe in the existence of the kappa, there are still many sightings today, especially in the countryside of Japan. In fact, locals still hang warning signs near bodies of water thought to be frequented by the kappa. So I'd love to have seen that when I was in Japan, that you drive around and there's a warning sign that this creature's in the area. Reminded me a bit of the um, thing we did on fairies, where there are those fairy zones in Iceland. Yeah, and I think there's yeah. signs up there, aren't they, for that? Absolutely, yes. Um, one of the things that I... Because whilst you're talking about it, I'm looking at it, I've come across the fact it's obsessed with politeness. Oh, I didn't get that bit. Oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, well, apparently, if you, it, it sounds a little bit like, um, uh, like Buckbeak from Harry Potter. But apparently, if you make a deep bow, it will return the gesture. Right, and actually, if you look at the picture of it, the 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 head is very Buckbeak. I think. Oh yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I mean, obviously not the shell and the gangly legs and the web feet, but that bit is. And the eating of children. But yeah, yeah. it's perfect. Yeah. Um, so uh, scientists have not managed. I love this bit that I read in the article of it. Scientists have not managed to confirm the existence of the creature. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Despite the fact that numerous bones have been discovered that are said to belong to the kappa. One set of mummified remains, uh, which seems to show a webbed hand, went on display for the first time in Mizazaki Prefecture in 2014. Although I, I did look further into that story, I don't think they were, nobody's done any tests or anything on them. The remains are said to date back to 1818 after a kappa was killed on a riverbank. The, in the remains, the foot measures around three inches and the arm around five inches. So that's what? Three inches, eight centimetres, five inches, 16 centimetres. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like a small to medium sized dog size, really. Yeah. Yeah. But there are, there are bones that purport to be of the kappa. Um, but yeah, not been tested. So. I'm not sure that that counts as a real kind of sighting of one. But I love the description of it. That, I mean, that's what I loved, and we'll come on to more of them. The, the Japanese have got these real kind of quirky and real attention to detail, like, you know, the bit in the head that you have to keep keep the water in or the sara to keep it from dying or losing its powers. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, more than – well, this does sound very Pokemon-y. In, in in many ways yeah yeah um so yes mischievous uh yeah so it looks like we've got a creature that's mischievous 
polite, can be indebted to you if you're nice to it, but also can be a bit nasty if it's in the mood. That's the way I summarise it. Okay. Now we move on uh, to the Yuki Ona. So uh, this translates to the word snow, snow woman. So this is an entity that preys on travellers lost in heavy snowstorms that blanket the Japanese mountains in the winter. She feeds on human life force, sucking it from their, from their mouths into hers with an icy breath that often freezes her victims solid. So you don't want to come across one of those on a snowy walk. No. They have an otherworldly beauty with long black hair and piercing eyes coloured deep violet. Their skin is ageless and as white as snow. However, their bodies are as cold as ice and a mere touch is enough to give a human a deep, unshakable chill. So this next bit is quite interesting and we do have two... uh, I did find two encounters with uh, Yuki Ona, but I couldn't find a date on these, so I don't know if these are very old or, or just a little bit old. But let's go with it. Yuki Ona sometimes fall in love with their intended prey and often let them go free. Some marry humans and live happily with their husbands. As supernatural spirits, Yuki Ona never ages, and their husbands inevitably discover their true identities, ending their happy marriages. God. So basically, you find out you're married to one because after you know a few years, they just they just don't age. A man from Yamagata claimed that he had been married to a yucky honor. His wife was beautiful with piercing eyes, skin as white as a marble statue. While he while he loved to take hot baths every night, his wife always refused to bathe, which puzzled him greatly. <laughs> <laughs> One particularly cold and snowy night, he insisted that his wife take a bath, at least she freeze to death in the cold. Well, that's the excuse he used anyway. Um, she protested, but there was no reasoning with the man, and finally she agreed. When he went to check on her a few minutes later, all he found remaining in the tub were thin, half-melted icicle fragments. He never saw his wife again. Well... That's a bit messed up. <laughs> I, I did wonder when I read that story <laughs> whether she just left him. <laughs> I just like, <laughs> I just thought, oh, he's going to take it badly and he's going to come after me. Uh, what I'll do is <laughs> I'll take a load of ice up with me, just bung it on the floor. He, <laughs> he thinks I'm one of these things anyway. I'll just, I'll just get out via the window and he'll forever be happy. I yep, I can see exactly how that could happen. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so so yes, they, there are nice ones that do marry and live with humans. But most uh, Yukiana are not congenial and spend their lives hunting humans in the snow. They stay near mountain roads and pl- prey on travellers' comings and goings, or break into. This is scary. Or they break into homes and flash freeze all of the inhabitants during the night. Flash freeze? Yeah, so they they come in and freeze everything, everybody inside, so everyone dies instantly. 
oh. frozen solid. Well, that's that is rude. That is rude, isn't it? Um, in Niigata, an elderly man ran an inn on a mountain trail with his wife. One snowy night, the inn was visited by a young lady who was travelling alone. She warmed herself by the fire and they ate together with the innkeeper and his wife. She was sweet and charming and extremely beautiful. In the middle of the night, during a fierce blizzard, she stood up and made to leave the inn. The innkeeper begged her not to go outside, took her hand to hold her back. Her hand was as cold as ice and merely touching it sucked all the warmth from the innkeeper's body, causing him to shiver violently. As he tried to keep the woman in the house, her entire body turned into a fine icy mist, shot up the chimney and ran out into the night. (laughs) I mean, yes, a little bit odd, but yes. You know what I'm thinking? Yeah. Frozen three. That's a difficult story to sell to Disney, though, right? It is. You'd probably have to tone it down a little bit, wouldn't you? I think so. But, you know, I, I did, I did, when I read it, I did wonder, oh, you know. Because, you know, any, all, all the people who are into animation, they, they love all the anime stuff, don't they? And yes. they love Japanese uh, animation and Studio Ghibli and all that stuff. I did wonder, researching and looking into more detail these stories, you kind of go, like the first one, the Cappy, you kind of go, oh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This one, you do go frozen. Just can't help it. So I do wonder whether they have either consciously or subconsciously influenced uh, a lot of Western entertainment in ways that we don't know. There's only so many stories under the sun. Mm. I want to move on to something uh, a bit more sinister. This one is a particularly scary entity called a gasado kuru, which roughly translates to rattling skull. These are found near mass graves or battlegrounds. They are skeletal giants which wander around the countryside in the darkest hours of night. So if you look at if you do uh look at our photo album or do a Google I mean they're massive they're like they're like a massive giant the size of a house but they're a skeleton And and um, in the shape of a a human Yes in the shape of a human skeleton and I'll get on to how they're formed in a minute because it is quite an interesting folklore tale So their teeth chatter and their bones creak, but they're not always noisy. If they should happen upon a human out late on the roads, they will silently creep up and catch their victims, crushing them in their hands or biting off their heads. Uh, Now, this bit's interesting. It reminded me of some of the stuff we talked about uh, a few weeks ago about uh, the Grim Reaper. They are associated with mass death events. So after a large battle or a plague, where all the bones that remain come together to form one large skeleton. Because the bones of the dead in a mass incident have not received proper burial rites, they're unable to pass on, their souls are reborn as ghosts, longing eternally for the life they once had. 
So because these people die with anger and pain in their hearts, basically, that energy remains long after their flesh has rotted from their bones. As their body decay, their anger is said to ferment into a grudge against the living, which twists them into a supernatural force. So when the bones of hundreds of victims gather together, either after a plague or a mass battle, they form this humongous skeletal monster known as the Gashado Kuru. And, okay, so uh, they're not just like the reanimated skeletons of something that was once living. They're a supernatural being in their own right. And yep. their representation as being skeletal is like it tells the story of where they came from rather than it just being a reanimated um, corpse that the yeah, flesh has that, rotted off. That, that's what I got from it. But I, right. I, I, thought, I thought the concept was interesting that, you know, if you've had, let's say, this mass battle uh, and, and the bodies are lying there, that actually as the decay sets in, they ferment and it creates this kind of it seems to almost give birth let's say to this evil entity that then gathers up the bones into one giant skeletal creature yeah i see i see and and how does this play into the to to the yokai like what does one have to look out for is it sort of um is it something that stalks the night or is it something that comes and gets you in your bedroom? Like, yeah, where, where I, should we fear this? Where should we fear this? Well, it, it seems to be, from the research I've done, it, and, and a lot of them are the same, they seem to be uh, if you're out late at night or if you're walking oh. on their own. They're, so I, I, a lot of this the yokai stuff i think are slightly cautionary tales of you know not misbehaving or do you know what i mean i think it's uh be careful if you're out at night and i wonder because um i think it's the same um with the the snow queen one as well do you know what i mean it's yeah it's this if you're out you shouldn't be out there is basically the message I took from reading this. Right, right. It's a cautionary tale, really. That's what I took from it. I mean, yeah. there are, there are. I mean, there's a lot of you know, yokai stories, and, I, and and they do vary considerably. But certainly, this one I did wonder a cautionary tale. But it did make me think about um, when you know the the sightings of the Grim Reaper after you know, the Black Death and mass plague events that they always seem to be connected with these Grim Reaper sightings, whether they be kind of, you know, UFO entities or or whatever they are. And I thought it was interesting that this creature seems akin to those stories of the Grim Reaper we did mm. the other way. Yeah, very much so, very much so. So it's, it's almost like... Um, every culture needs um its demons doesn't it and this is this is one in the uh in the japanese culture but I, what i really like about all these um tales that you're telling is how imaginative they are yeah. and they they're a lot more sophisticated they've almost got characters 
in them. And you mentioned uh, like the Pokemon series, and I can completely see like the demons of um, well, I would I would say Western theology, sort of in, influenced by Abrahamic religions. It's very much a sort of it's a, a digital. You've got the the devil on one side and you've got God on the other. Yeah. Whereas yeah. these have nuances. They they have personalities and and massive backstories. You know and backstories. And that, yeah. I mean, it's like you know going going back to the kappa that thing on its head. You know what I mean? And the fact that this is yeah. the fermenting bodies and the bones coming together. You know, and I. I don't know. It's it's interesting. There seems to be uh, a wider acceptance of paranormal tales, I think, within Japanese culture than maybe a lot of Western cultures. Um, and again, maybe that is connected with religion, you know, not, you know, kind of knocking out the paganism that we had. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I do find that, like you said, it is nuanced. There are backstories. There are just just details which are just amazing. I think. Mm, yeah. No, I agree absolutely. And I, what is so good about it is as well. It's not. Um, they're not preying on everybody. It's like um, there are ways around them. There are ways to appease them. There are. Um, there are reasons why they would come after you. It's it's kind of a, like I say, it's much more nuanced than um, you know. If you if you steal a Mars bar, you're going to hell. This is kind of this is another level yeah. of. Um, although although I do think they do. I'll come on to some kind of some some what's the word more more cheeky ones a bit later. But they, I think there's a whole gamut. I think that's. I don't think they fall into one category. It's almost like, you know, you've got this category and there's so many subgenres and some of them are just playful and mischievous. Some of them are a bit dark. You know, th- there's a whole range and and I just think I think it's more they're more embraced as a culture and enjoyed than maybe we do with our um supernatural tales and folklore. No, no. I I agree. I agree. Well, on these, this giant skeleton, the Gasado Kuru, however, because of the large amounts of dead bodies that are required to make one of these things, um, they're said to be rarer today than they were in the past when wars and famines were part of everyday life. And like you said, maybe that's why they got invented as a concept in the first place. The earliest record of a Gasado Kuru goes back over a thousand years to a bloody rebellion against the central government by a samurai named Masakado. His daughter, Takiyasha, was a famous sorcerer. When Masakado was eventually killed for his revolt, his daughter continued his calls. Using black magic, she summoned a giant skeleton from the bodies of the dead soldiers around to attack the city of Kyoto. And her monster is depicted in a very, very famous painting uh, by Yutagawa Kuniyoshi, who uh, will will try and put that in the social media images as well. So, you, so she's supposed she's supposed to be the origin of this creature using black magic, basically. I see. I I will say I think your 
pronunciation to my like British ears sounds amazing. Like I'm not sure our <laughs> listeners know, but you lived in Japan for a, a while, right? Yeah, I did, but um I must admit I did take Japanese lessons for about four months and I got absolutely nowhere. I could basically get into a cab and say, go left, right, stop. That's probably all I came away with. And I think right. I've put, forgotten half of that. The only the one thing I do remember is that you do have to break the words up and there are little pockets of words that go together. So I'm sure my pronunciation is absolutely terrible, but um, I thought I'd go for it with gusto and see where I get. <laughs> Sounds good. And and gusto's up for it. So Yeah. Well, gusto's the next character we're going on to. Oh, no, right. it's not. <laughs> it's not. Um, so... Not, I, I, and I think this next story says something about Japanese culture as well. That not all of these stories are folklore. Some of them are modern, and they become part of the folklore quite quickly. Um, so I want to tell you the story of the Kushisaki Ona. So uh, this is a modern day legend. The name Kushisakiana translates to slit mouth woman. Um, now, this one is like a lot of Japanese legends, it's quite macabre and extreme. Um, so, uh, if there are any little ones around, you may want to cover their ears or take them out. Um, the story goes that the Kushisakiana started as a real life woman who was punished by her husband because of her adultery. He cut her mouth from ear to ear. Her ghost now appears as a beautiful woman wearing a surgical mask. She asks her victims, Watashi Kirai, which means, am I beautiful? If you say no, she will kill you. If you say yes, she removes her mask to expose her gruesome disfigured mouth and says once again, am I beautiful now? If you say no, yep, she kills you. If you say yes, she will make you as beautiful as her by slicing your mouth from ear to ear. Oh, my God. <laughs> there have been multiple movies featuring this character. <laughs> and I, 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 haven't, I can't remember it in this movie. She also featured in Studio Ghibli's movie, Pompoko. I, I, I'm surely not. Um, they must have dumbed it down a bit, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is fairly terrifying yokai. This is almost like the mafia of yokais. Yeah, this is the hardcore. This is this is the death metal of yokai, basically. Yeah. But what? But you know, I just thought I won and I wondered whether this kind of image will make a resurgence because she does wear a surgical mask and in you know oh, i see yeah 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 for us with covid although so you know masks are quite commonly worn in japan if you've got a cold people generally wear masks a to put little drops of eucalyptus or medicine in it but also to you know be uh, nice to your fellow citizens because everybody lives so on top of each other especially in the big cities um, but what I thought was amazingly interesting about this is, you know, this thing started in the 1970s 
and now it is, you know, as prominent a part of the spirit culture and folklore as even the, you know, older, more well-established creatures and spirits. So I read this great article um, with with an associate professor, this one I'm going to struggle with, from Kokuguain University. As we always say, that's easy for you to say. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I I do apologise to Professor Yoshiyuka and the university who I will just I will just call it the university from now on <laughs> um, so this professor offers one theory as to the origins of this legend he said around the end of 1978 a rumor circulated that an old woman in a farming family uh, in a farming family in the town of Yatsu in Gifu prefecture spotted a woman Uh, with a now notorious slip mouth standing in the corner of a garden. The local newspaper printed an article about the story and the legend spread and grew through repetition among the children of the area. He says there were all these different variations, like they may say that she wore a mask or a red coat or that she carried a sickle, interestingly. Oh, okay, that's a good throwback, right? Yeah, yeah. Or they say that she could run 100 metres in six seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Who can't? I mean, it's fast, but it's not like, okay. Well, no, no, exactly. Know, it's not it, supernatural, is it? That's like, uh, yeah. oh, it's 100 metres, they must be a, a Bas- god. Uh, basically, she's knocked three seconds off it. As yeah, two, yeah, two, that's three and exactly and right, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> she hates hair pomade. I'm okay. not quite sure what hair pomade is. Is that like um, I that do know what that is. That is um, when people didn't used to wash their hair. It was it's like potpourri for the scalp. It sort okay. of disguises it's like dry shampoo. Oh uh, yeah, but it's more to disguise smell. It's like oils and um, like orange extract and things like that to stop your hair being stinky. Yeah. There is also a rumour that if you gave her hard candy, then she would go away. Um. (laughs) So basically, I can protect myself against her by running over to the garage. And buy some Werther's Originals. Right, yeah. So for a pound, I can (laughs) stop her slicing my mouth open. Yeah, it's a very affordable um, thing, yeah. Um, So... So this story originated in one area in 1978. It got put in the local paper. Rumours started flowing. Six months later, the rumour had spread nationwide and it became a thing, basically. So the prof, the professor says, at first, teachers and parents were also worried. Conducting patrols, we've heard that before, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And arranging for children to return home in groups. The rumour died down around the start of summer holidays in 1979, but the powerful image of the slip-mouthed woman lingered in everyone's memories, establishing itself as another classic monstrous figure in Japanese culture. Okay. And yeah, so so they're not they're not all folklore. They are um, there are some modern ones. This next story, 
again, I'd not come across it, but apparently it is a thing and it has been big over the last few months. And it's basically a a, a, a classic spirit that's made a bit of a comeback, basically. So this is about the Amabi. Uh, and I read this article. Uh, it was an article written by Rebecca Saunders last year for BBC Travel that I will be referencing a bit. Um, so it's the interesting story of how one of these Japanese spirits has seen a resurgence in the time of coronavirus. In Japan, as parts of the country declare a state of emergency, people were reacted to the COVID-19 pandemic in a unique way by sharing images online of a mystical mermaid-like being believed to ward off plagues. Largely forgotten for generations, Amabi, as it's known, is an auspicious yokai, a class of supernatural spirit popularised throughout Japanese folklore. Um, She was first documented in 1846. The story goes that a government official was investigating a mysterious green light in the water in the Higo province. Uh, When he arrived at the spot of light, a glowing green creature with fishy scales, long hair, three fin-like legs and a beak emerged from the sea. Amabi introduced herself to the man and predicted two things. One, a rich harvest would bless Japan for the next six years and a pandemic would ravage the country. However, the mysterious person instructed that in order to stave off the disease, people should draw an image of it and share it with as many people as possible. Which you can see why it's made a bit of a resurgence, right? So it's right, a bit, and, it, yeah. and it reminded me a bit like the film The Ring. You know, we have to do a copy of the cassette tape to yeah. kind of get... Yeah, it's okay, like yeah, that. no, that's really interesting, yeah. So this Curious Encounter was published in the local newspaper back in the day, accompanied by a woodblock print of Amabi, uh, which helped to disseminate its image across Japan. For much of the past 174 years, Amabi has remained rather dormant. But as the coronavirus has swept across Japan, its image has recently resurfaced on social media, bringing hope that those who share in it are helping to end the current pandemic. Um, Anabi can be seen as an Edo period, so this is 1603 to 1868, meme, said Victoria Raba. You're going to love this as well. A graduate (laughs) student at Stanford University, Centre for East Asian Studies. I want to go to Stanford University. They do some great stuff. Amabi, she says, Amabi tells the public to draw it and then make that drawing go viral to prevent the plague. According to Google Trends, this mythical yokai resurfaced in early March 2020 and its popularity has since spread to five continents with the hashtag Amabi Challenge now appearing in English. In addition to the tens of thousands of paintings, drawings and personalised depictions of Amabi on Twitter and Instagram, people in Japan have been selling face masks and hand sanitizers with the image on them. One illustrator who daubed Amabi's likeness, uh, he daubed uh, Amabi's likeness on the side of his long-haul lorry and he tweeted an image saying, I travel all over the country with my goods and Amabi is next to me praying for the disease to go away. 
Other believers have made amabi sushi, baked amabi shaped biscuits, and the yokai has found itself embroidered on fabric, blown up as a balloon animal. People are even dressing up their pets as this seaborne spirit. Wow. So this has had a real impact on like popular culture. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, I think that tells you something about, you know, the importance of these folklores and myths in Japanese culture, that this wasn't a famous one, right? It mm. kind of died out and somebody somewhere had gone, oh, yeah, but hold on, this one's supposed to help ward off plagues if you pass her image on and gone, this is perfect for for social media. In right. fact, Marby was well ahead of, I think it's a her, uh, ahead of her or its time because, you know, if it had come out, at the point of social media, it had just gone crazy. But, it, I mean, it has gone crazy, I guess. It's got so crazy that the Japan, that Japan's Ministry of Health, Labour and Welfare recently got involved in the craze. In a tweet on the 9th of April 2020, the government agencies shared an image of the yokai, reiterating the original sentiment and encouraging people to pass it on to prevent the spread of the virus. Mm, interesting interesting so th- some of these yokai are very much of their current time really yeah yeah well certainly so the 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 one before with the slip mouth woman that is a modern invention this one yeah it's just it's had a resurgence it, you know it's like take that getting back together or something do you know what i mean it's 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 off again yeah because because and i think maybe it does come to we were talking earlier about cautionary tales or they have a purpose it's almost like amabi's time has come because of the coronavirus Mm. and the fact that social media is there and you can spread this image and is your impression that these things like for all of the um sort of supernatural and potentially folklore things that we've spoken about for example fairies it's very hard to tell whether people believe in them or it's part of the culture it feels to me hearing about these stories this is a cultural thing these are almost like uh, superheroes or super villains rather than things people really believe exist yeah, I mean, I when I started thinking about how to describe it, I why you know earlier I I used the the knocking on wood thing, which isn't isn't right. Um, you know, you start thinking about oh, what about you know Father Christmas or the Easter Bunny or, but it's deeper than that, right? It seems mm. more ingrained than that. Whether people literally believe it, I mean, I know when I was in Japan and uh, you know. Pe- the people I worked with and talked to, I mean, they didn't go into detail about this stuff, but it was almost ingrained into their culture so deeply that I didn't feel like they worshipped these things. Do you know what I mean? I didn't feel mm. like it was just, it was a cross between fun. So the fun side of things like, you know, Santa Claus or whatever but it but it but it's a little bit deeper than that i think mhm mhm i see what you mean it's it's um it's a deep tradition whether you believe in it or not doesn't really 
matter. It's more about um, what it represents. Yeah, and everybody, well, not I'm, I'm sure not everybody, but people en masse in Japan do buy into it on some level. How yeah. deep that level is, I guess, depends on the person. Mm-hmm. But it, it's widely accepted and there's a kind of, you know, unified love and reverence of these things, I think. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Now, these have all been kind of spirits or creatures we've talked about, but um, there is uh, a subsection of yokai called Sukumogami. Sukumogami, I think that's the pronunciation. These are spirits that live inside tools or everyday objects. They're not entities as such, but they're in inanimate objects. Because I think there is, I don't know if it's a Shinto religious thing, but there is a belief that every object has some kind of soul. Um, So if these items become discarded, damaged or mistreated, the spirit can become resentful, angry, vengeful or sad. Again, that's quite a cautionary tale, right? If you've got a tool and you mistreat it, it will, you know bite back at you because you're mistreating it it's just common sense right yeah absolutely absolutely but 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 also there there is um i don't think it's mainstream in in western culture but there is um a thought that you know everything has a consciousness yeah and and this feels like it sort of fits into that and uh, and i'm guessing the next thing you're going to talk about is an inanimate object that has consciousness yeah i this is probably one of well one of if not my favorite this is the karakasu koza kozo sorry karakasu karakasa koza karakasa koza which translates (laughs) to paper umbrella priest boy (laughs) (laughs) I, they they're currently on the a playlist on bbc radio 6 yeah. i think yeah that one may have got lost a little bit in translation so these are uh silly funny playful looking yokai uh and they're a transformation <laughs> this one particularly is a transformation of a chinese style oiled paper umbrella so it's of basically course. a spirit in an umbrella. So I'm I'm looking at one now. Again, we'll put links to this on social media or the photo album. So this one I'm looking. Oh, they do vary. The one I'm looking at, where you would normally have the umbrella um, bit that you hold, is a leg. Looks a bit like a bird's leg. On top, the bit that goes on top of your umbrella when it's down, is a hat. It has one eye in the middle, and then it's got a mouth, and it's got a massive tongue. (laughs) So, yeah, they have a single large eye, a long protruding tongue, either one or two legs, upon which they hop around wildly. Karikasakosa are not particularly fearsome as far as yokai go. Their favourite method of surprising humans is to sneak up on them and deliver a large oily lick with their enormous tongues. <laughs> <laughs> That's my dog all over. He'll do yeah. that. Yeah, there you go. 
This may be traumatic, even though it isn't dangerous. I don't think being licked by an umbrella is traumatic. No, I, I, the thing looks great. It's just so cool. Um, you have to be careful, though. Caution is advised. There are other umbrella yokai which are dangerous to humans, and care should be taken not to confuse not to confuse them with this more playful spirit. I, I like so. Whilst we've been talking, I've googled this, and um, so the single eye, the big long tongue, the single foot, which is like a as you say, like a bird's foot. Uh, the illustration that I've got, it's wearing a hat. Oh, is it? I think they, yeah, they do vary. Some have two legs as well. So I would, I mean, yeah. If this came up to me in the street, I think I would probably laugh so hard I would need my aspirin inhaler. But it is a wonderful thing. Like I'm very surprised there hasn't been a cartoon series about one of these boys because I'm sure I'm sure there must be an anime and stuff. There there must be. I'm wondering um, whether there is a uh, a Pokemon that is a umbrella. I'm yeah. I'm just googling it now because um uh, no I can't see one. He's the best there, though, isn't he? Not, He's the best that should, you've spoken about so far. It's, it's cool. He's cool. I love him. Um, and th- there's another kind of variation that's a bit similar, which is a a, a Chochin Ubake. I think I'm saying like that. And it's basically a possessed Chochin lantern. You know the lanterns you get outside Japanese restaurants, the paper lanterns, quite popular. Uh, yes, yes. So similar to the um, to the umbrella, it it has one eye and a long tongue that protrudes from a hole in the lantern and acts as the spirit's mouth, usually made out of bamboo, paper or silk. This is really interesting. Again, this I love this detail, the backstory. The lanterns come to life after a 100 years of service. When a paper lantern or a chochin reaches an advanced age, it sometimes becomes a chochin obake. The paper slits along one side of its wooden ribs, forming a gaping mouth with a wild lolling tongue. One or two eyes pop out of the upper half of the lantern, and occasionally arms and legs may sprout from its body as well. It rarely causes physical harm, preferring simply to surprise and scare humans, laughing and rolling its large tongue and big eyes at guests in the home. However... As I said, a bit like the others, powerful entities have sometimes been known to disguise themselves as Chochin, Obake. These dangerous supernatural entities masquerade as one of the most comical and harmless to get at you. So this reminds me of, like, obviously, well, not obviously, but I've never been to Japan. But one of the things that I've always wanted to do if I did go to japan is um eat fugu which uh yep which i have oh have you i didn't know you had um for anyone that doesn't know it's a potentially lethal puffer fish and it requires a specially qualified chef to prepare it and if i'm correct um restaurants who serve it 
display a pufferfish lantern outside the restaurant. Mm. And there is some indication on that lantern about how proficient the chef is. Is that right? Uh, I think there is something like that. Weirdly, when I when lived and worked in Japan, <laughs> I, I, I was working next to a restaurant that um, had the Japanese name, but it had an English translation. And the name of the restaurant was Discount Blowfish. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just thought, who would eat in there? Um, yeah, though, though it, it is, uh, there's a famous Simpsons episode about it, which is hilariously funny, where, Simps, where um, Homer eats the fugu and has 24 hours to live. I had it, it was actually my wife's birthday and we were we were eating out in Tokyo and it was a nice restaurant so I felt comfortable enough to order it um uh, and it was sashimi it was in the form of sashimi and the waiter did come and talk to me about it and said you do realize that you know we are very professional here we don't cut close to the poisonous gland because there, there, there is something where you can cut close to the poisonous glands and it has a kind of anaesthetic, almost drug-like quality if you eat it. It ma- makes you a bit high, right? Yeah, because you're getting close to the poison. So they, you know, he took me aside and said, you do realise what, you know, fugu is. And I said, yeah, yeah. And I, and I, and I, I was a bit wobbly about it and he, he reassured me. Uh, and then I told my wife that I'd ordered it and she was like you sure you're not you sure you want to do that and I said no no I got it we're here I've got to try it so I arrived it was absolutely delicious <laughs> then I ate it and after about 10 minutes I, I went I'm feeling a bit hot <laughs> I'm feeling a bit hot and sweaty and I basically wigged myself out I just freaked myself out that I was gonna like I poisoned myself with this thing which I hadn't. I, I was just. It, I just mentally freaked myself out. Oh, I'm not surprised, but it, like in terms of, I don't know, deliciousness on a scale of one to ten, how delicious was it? Uh, I don't think it. I don't think I'd order it again. I don't think I'd risk my life for it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, it was really good sashimi, but. Um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't worth risking my life for. Um and in fact, I know this is a slight aside, but um one of well, my favorite restaurant in Japan was uh there's a thing called Shirashi sushi, which is basically a big bowl of kind of vinegared rice with sashimi on the top. And uh, it's absolutely delicious. And there was a restaurant near where i worked and you'd go with 400 yen which is about what four quid or something uh you know five bucks and there was a turnstile and you'd put your money in the turnstile and go into the restaurant sit on a bench and they just put this big bowl down in front of you and you'd eat it and you'd go there was no choice there was no ordering (laughs) Uh, you know, and they said, "What you know?" You'd say, "What's in it?" And they go, "Whatever was fresh today." Oh, that does sound really nice, actually. But you know, for the price of a, I don't know, a salmon roll 
in the UK, you could have this massive bowl of rice with all kinds of amazing sashimi. And yeah, you pay your money at the turnstile and in you go. It's brilliant. Oh, that does sound good. And and when you're there and and going to these restaurants that serve fugu, did, did you get the impression that it was like a masculine thing to do or is it is it because people are chasing the high of of the fish i think i I think there is a bit of that i think there is you know what i don't know um and i've it's funny doing the research for this when i first arrived in japan uh there was a british guy out there who i was working with and he'd lived there for 10 years and he said, the longer you spend in Japan, the less you understand the country. Because mm. it's like there's so many layers. And even from these stories, there's so many different layers to Japan that it's really hard to really figure out what's going on. Or, I've, or I've, I'm sure that's not true. I found it really mm. hard to figure out what's going on. But there is, as soon as you said that, or oh, is it a macho thing? I go, yeah, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Well, it might be a bit, but it might not be. It's really hard to put your finger on it because it's so... I think the word you used earlier, nuanced, the whole place is nuanced. Mm. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the pieces of Japanese culture that we get over here, like I would, like Pokemon, it feels like they are... Yeah, they're westernised and repackaged yeah. for our consumption probably because we wouldn't understand it yeah exactly but it, it is fascinating but i think you know talking about some of these creatures you know i when i look back at being there i don't know something like the studio ghibli films is a is a is a is a, a more balanced or better side of Japanese what I saw as Japanese culture because it's got all that nuanced it's got the softness and niceness but it's got the weirdness it's got you know you you would see your your jumping umbrellas in that do you know what I mean I think there is a jumping umbrella actually in Howl's Moving Castle but I can't remember do you know what I mean though it's yes um it gives you a kind of softer more nuanced approach it it, those films remind me of Japanese culture much more than anything else that i've ever seen of japanese culture yeah i think yeah i think i think that's right and and i think this this episode is really interesting in that um it's a super it's a cool insight into another culture's very rich uh kind of folk stories and like where we talk about like our ghost stories and um seeing horse and carriages running down the street and we like to swap sort of almost Dickensian uh stories at Christmas. This is yeah. this is the this is the similar thing from from a completely different culture. Well let me read you a bit. There's a quote here that I found from uh someone called Hiroko Yoda, who's the co author of the book Yoki Attack, the Japanese Monster Survival Guide, which <laughs> I've not read, but I am definitely going to have to get. Um, he describes it well, I think. He says, Yokai often play the role of helping people process unpleasant feelings or situations. 
they can sometimes be a kind of pressure valve for when things get tense. What gives them weight is their long history. Yokai in various forms and names have been part of Japanese culture for centuries. Today's yokai are mainly in the form of entertainment. They are commonly used as characters in video games, anime and comic books. But I think that point about, you know, when things get tough and a pressure valve and releasing tension, you know, I mean, when I lived in Tokyo, I mean, more people pass through the tube station where I worked, which is not a particularly busy part of Tokyo, in one day than uh, use or pass through the whole of London's tube network. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, 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 you know, as many people as live in London mm. will pass through this one station. It's, yeah, yeah. So everybody's on top of each other. People often live with their families in small apartments or do long travel the hours work long hours so these things that kind of you know can release tension and pressure i I get how that would work yeah no me too me too and i i think it's fascinating like one of the reasons why well probably both of us but i i don't want to speak for you but the reason that i love hearing of all the stories that we've covered in the last year and, and you know, I, I'm an avid consumer of um, obviously all paranormal stuff is because it's a lovely welcome side to what is a, you know, in inverted commas, a, a normal life. And I think if I was subject to living my life around so many people in a... Um, and th- this is just my interpretation of the Japanese culture, but yeah. it feels like people have very set roles in that culture. And um, you, men and women probably have more of a set uh, culture than we, we do perhaps in the UK. Yeah. And I can see that that sort of escapism is a really beautiful and valuable thing. It would help mental health. It would help creativity. It would help a lot of different things. So like all of those stories you've just told, uh, despite some of them being terrifying, I think they're utterly, uh, utterly wonderful. I loved them. Yeah. Well, I I thought I'd end. Um, Some of you may be listening to this podcast (laughs) just before going to bed. So let me give you a cautionary tale if you are going to bed. Watch out for the Boro Boroton. It's a kind of haunted duvet. (laughs) (laughs) A kind of. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in Japanese, the Boro Boroton is described as a tattered futon or a Japanese nap mat, you know, that you'd find (laughs) on the floor. Yeah, yeah. Well, I should should just say that um, I had... Uh, like futons were really popular here in oh god probably the mid 90s yeah yeah the, there was even a shop called the futon shop if you remember yeah, that yeah and, yeah and it had big outlets and um i was at university and really sick of sleeping on like beds in rented rooms and i bought when i was about 21 i bought a futon because I thought, oh, it'll be like really comfortable. 
And when you get a futon, I don't know, like perhaps there are listeners who are much more <laughs> muscular and well adapted to hardship than me. But oh my God, that is not a comfortable thing at all. It's and not a good night's sleep. <laughs> no, but the thing is, it, they're not cheap. Well, they weren't back then. And yeah. so I was living in a room where I had like, I'd usurped somebody else's, you know, X bed, like a rental bed, and I'd installed my own futon. And I was just making the best of it. And the way to make the best of it is to sleep on a duvet with another duvet on top of you. So you're kind of like um, looking after yourself a bit. And um, when I met uh, my partner now, who we, you know, I've been together with 21 years, that's when she first knew me when I had a futon. And the amount of nights where I would say, do you want to come back to mine? And she goes, no, we'll go back to mine. And that... It, it it took me a little while and I was like, what is wrong with my house? I've got I've got a room, it's got its own bathroom, we've got a lovely <laughs> kitchen, what's going on? It's like, your futon. Yeah, I can't sleep on your futon. <laughs> and uh, to be honest, I have a lot of sympathy with her because when it comes down to it, oh boy. Well, I hope you were nice to your futon. Well, I took it to the tip. Oh. Well, here's a cautionary tale for you then, Ben. Okay. The Bora Bora Tan comes to life at night. So it's a duvet or a futon. Right. It rises up into the air, throws its owner out of bed, then begins to <laughs> twine around the head and neck of the sleeper. Oh, God. And with the intent of strangling them. Oh, my God. Bora Bora Tan will come to life when feeling ignored or needless. As some kind of revenge and out of frustration, they float through the rooms of inhabited houses at night and try and strangle any sleeping person they can find. This bit's great. If they can't find anyone, <laughs> they will meet up with other inanimate object spirits and throw noisy parties as they leave the house and stroll around in search of other companion beings. <laughs> noisy parties yeah so why i i if one week listeners turn up and i'm the only one speaking it could be (laughs) because ben's futon has enacted some kind of revenge like a boroboroton that that is extraordinary like it just seems like it's it's a piece of well i don't know what you call it like nightwear that is just like obnoxious and jealous like it it, it doesn't make, make, make much sense so if you pay attention which i assume is just sleeping on it yeah. it won't kill you but if you go oh i don't really want to sleep on this because it's or, a or, or you bit, don't look after it. Oh, you don't look... Yeah, well, which, like, how do you look after it? Like, it's difficult to look after a futon. Like, anyone who's ever owned a futon, particularly a double futon, <laughs> it, the the base of it is as heavy as a blooming mattress. I mean, that is not light. And you can't take that to, like, a, a, 
a dry cleaning center like to get that out of a house it takes two people like huffing and puffing and then sticking it in the back of a van and there's no way you can get that clean once it's dirty you have to discard it it's it's that you know how you, you know how you get it out of the house you throw it a party obviously you throw it a party and and what do futons like to drink i wonder i don't know yeah that's uh i don't know well it, like well, in, in your case it'd be a double wouldn't it because yours was a double oh yeah it was a double yeah yeah i mean if i if tonight i hear a really soft knocking at the window <laughs> like i mean the fact it wants to strangle me is a bit off-putting but at the other on the other side like i feel like i'm i'm not a small gentleman I'm I'm I feel like I'm pretty well built. I think I could take on, you could take a, on a, a, an animated futon, yeah. Okay. I reckon I could All do right. it. Alright. There's a challenge that you've laid down. Man versus futon. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like I said, that is just a scratching the surface of, of Yoki and Yokai and um some of the Japanese folklore. Weirdly, I started this episode, Ben, by I think we'd mentioned it a few episodes ago. Oh, it'd be good to do um, spirits and paranormal stuff from around the world. And when I started researching this, I thought, oh, we'll we'll do this as a little tour around the world. Mm. I just, I literally, I mean, I just got stuck on Japan, and I think we we could we could probably do the whole year on on this subject alone on yokai it's amazing it's amazing but i like you said i think you hit the nail on the head i love the nuance the attention to detail the backstories the way it's i think embraced is the word maybe mm. the way that we don't embrace our paranormal that's probably the best way yeah. of describing it I, I absolutely agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. And my my interpretation, and again, like you would know better because you live there, but it feels like people don't... Um, it feels like the culture accepts it for what it is. Like, even if it's a story, it spoils the story if you kind of go, oh, no, that's bullshit. It's a bit like children who you know have come yeah. to not believe in father christmas but you know they don't want to spoil the magic of it so they just kind of go along with it yeah. it's not like it's not as naive as that that sounds patronizing but no i know it, i think and i was trying to get to that point earlier i think in when i mentioned that and the easter bunny but they're not quite the same but you're right it's the 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 embracing the magic of it maybe yeah yeah embracing the magic yeah, I think I think that's a that's a good way of putting it. Oh, I I I thoroughly enjoyed that, and I think that is what for our podcast. What that tells us is that it's possible to embrace the uh, the stories and enjoy enjoy them for what they are. And yeah. sometimes you don't need to go too heavily into how they came about. Sometimes, yeah the human brain just needs a really great story and what better story can there be than an umbrella with a massive tongue i agree 
on that note. Just before we go on that note, like I wanted, so um, I know that uh, we have worldwide listeners, but um, I felt like um, this week I have there's um, there's a show on BBC Sound. So if you're in the UK, it wasn't very well uh, publicised, but I stumbled across it and I felt like it was the most quantum mechanics show the BBC have ever done it's called the Battersea Poltergeist and it's it's really good at the time of recording there's only two episodes released and I believe there are eight but if you're listening in the UK or if you're in a territory where you can get BBC Sounds or BBC Radio 4 on demand the Battersea Poltergeist I would thoroughly recommend to you if you like what we do you'll love this well, that sounds great. So that's a true story, right? It's a true story, and it is a, the way they've done it. It's a documentary, but they've inserted some um, uh, like dramatized moments. Right. And the drama is fantastic. The drama stars Toby Jones, who is okay. like a massive star. So it's really beautifully made, and. Like I I listened to it in awe, thinking, "Gosh, if only we had that much money to make this." But like, if you like this, go and check that out, and then in the comments, um, let's have a little chat about because the whole thing is like, do you think this is a real poltergeist, or do you think that there was something else going on? And uh, I'd be very happy to engage anybody in that conversation because uh, it's. It's a great show. It's our national broadcaster at their very best. Cool. Brilliant. I'll, I'll check that as well. They've not really promoted it well, have they? So I'll check that out as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I found out about it from... Um, I've often mentioned my incredibly sceptical father, and he phoned me and said, you've got to check this out. It's really fascinating. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great show. Excellent. Well, we're going to... Uh, we're going to say to everyone make sure you keep embracing the magic um and watch out for your futons and duvets that they don't attack you there's something massive and green walking down my drive i'm gonna to have to go and check it out <laughs> i'll put my umbrella up yeah <laughs> okay we'll see you next time on the quantum mechanic I'll see you next time the quantum mechanics